Hello, I'm India and welcome to the third series of Starter Ripple, the podcast that celebrates moving in nature. This series is sponsored by Island Feather, an amazing brand that creates high quality multi-purpose fitness wear and events. Island Feather's mission is to support you to live a healthy life, discover what makes you happy and create a community of support and care for one another. For me, having just become a mum, their motto, find your freedom, resonates more than ever, and I'm stoked to have them as a sponsor. Okay, it's time to introduce my guest. In August 2016, Darren Edwards' life changed forever. Whilst rock climbing in North Wales, he was involved in a serious fall, which altered the shape of his life after leaving him instantly paralysed from the chest down. However, This life-changing injury didn't stop Darren pushing himself to the limit. He has trained as part of Great Britain's para-canoe team, pioneered adaptive freediving in the UK, and in 2021 became the first disabled person to kayak from Land's End in Cornwall to John O'Groke's in Scotland. He says, I have refused to let the word disability define who I am as a person, and I'm committed to helping challenge the perception of what those with a disability can achieve. So hello, Darren, and welcome to Start the Ripple podcast. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate the, the opportunity. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's, I'm so excited to have you here. I've got so many questions for you. I'm not sure we're going to have enough time, actually, to put them all in. But um, let's start from the beginning. Where did your ripples start? If you could tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so for me, I've, I've not always, it's one of those things, I've not always been disabled. So when I meet people for the first time, I think sometimes people kind of assume that I've always been in a wheelchair, Um, whereas for me, my life didn't really change until I was 26. It kind of had two distinct chapters. I think my teen years, I was not an outdoorsy, adventurous person at all. I was in a group of friends that liked football, drinking and girls. Probably not in that order. Now I think about it, and I like that. Admittedly, um, never very good with with women at all. But um, it wasn't until I was seventeen that you go to college. So I live up in Shropshire, and, and you kind of mix with people from different secondary schools. And I met the guy that would one day save my life, and that that was Matt. And I, I remember, and I look back; it's so cheesy when I think back. You know, you kind of get mixed and thrown into these classes and we were chatting about kind of, you know, our likes and interests. And he was like, oh, I'm, a, I'm really into climbing and mountaineering. And I was like, oh, I've never done that. But there was something there that was kind of like I was interested in it. And he said, he said, um, have you heard of this guy called Bear Grylls? And I never like obviously now he's like an Internet, you know, world superstar, isn't he? But me coming from, you know, football, drinking and girls background, I was like, no, who? So he was like, right, you've got to come round and we'll, we'll watch an episode together. And I remember I went round to his house one, one weekend and I think we watched three or four episodes back to back. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy is, you know, like what he's doing is so cool. And it was I think then that Matt was like, shall we? Do you want to go on an adventure? And we live about an hour, hour and a half from Snowdonia. And I remember going up, my first ever time in the mountains was going up Snowdon over Crib Gok, which for those listeners that know it is like a, a ridge that's got 300 foot drops on either side. And I, I was slightly cacking my pants, admittedly, but also <laughs> completely exhilarated and, and completely like connected to nature for the first time in my life. And it was that, it was that one DVD that we watched and it was that first ever mountain summit that just completely hooked me and and to be honest life completely changed 
just just there then and there and i kind of threw myself into to climbing mountaineering learning to to rock climb you know going mountaineering at the weekend joining a local club and it's funny isn't it you you're on kind of one trajectory you meet somebody that has a a defining kind of impact on your life although you don't know it in the first seconds of meeting them and then all of a sudden you know i've spent nine incredible years before you know something happened that we'll talk about just absolutely falling in love with adventure the outdoors climbing mountaineering and just kind of you know discovering that this was the person i think i was always meant to be just had never had that kind of connection yeah and and he was it that was the door to this whole new world is that sort of i've I've spoken about this with another guest actually on on the podcast um it's that butterfly effect isn't it you you look back and you realize if you hadn't met that person this wouldn't have happened and and you just think wow it just shows just those sometimes brief encounters can change your life forever yeah or it's the, um, the Gwyneth Paltrow slide indoors reference. yeah you know had we had we not been sat next to each other by a random teacher in a random classroom yeah. we maybe would never have had that yeah exactly so I could it's, be 10 years later still failing with women drinking and playing football <laughs> so he saved me from uh, years of that yeah and obviously sounds like saved you from a lot a lot more as well so I know in 2016 is where you had a big life-changing event um could you tell us more about that yeah 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 so yeah 2016 so I was 20 26 years old and we were climbing I was climbing with Matt that day so he's in the navy so he spends a lot of time down south but when he would come up at the weekends we got right let's get in the car let's go Uh, and there's something of a a sweet irony to the fact that where we were climbing that day was called world's end i didn't quite get the <laughs> the kind of you know the, the the way that it would have a huge it would kind of end one world for me in a way um but we're we're climbing up world's end which is a 120 foot sort of rock face broken up into four pitches that are 30 35 foot in in height and i'm lead climbing so i'm sure you loads of your listeners will know like you're putting in the protective gear as you're going clipping the rope through and we get to the final pitch of, of the day. And, and I do remember he was, I think we spent pretty much the whole day talking about one girl that he'd matched with on Tinder that he was going on a first date with that night. And he was, kind, there was kind of a sense of urgency, right, let's kind of wrap this up, let's get home so I can shower and get out on this date. And um, it's his final pitch, I get to the top and you know, I don't have, nothing happens while I'm climbing. And I'm stood at the top, I look back down at Matt and I start rigging up a, a belay point so I can bring him up. And he, I think, makes three or four attempts to get up to me uh, and can't make the climb. So we just agree that the ledge he's on leads straight off to sort of a, a long track back down to the car park. That's probably our quickest exit kind of thing. So I then start to get ready to abseil back down to him. And I'm just stood on the edge of this ledge looking kind of over my left shoulder. And I just say something down to him. And there's like, you know, there's essentially the 100 foot drop below me which is broken up by this tiny ledge, which is probably no more than a six foot wide, which Matt has stood on. And it's as I then face back to my anchor point, and I'm not kind of mentally committed to, to going just in that second. And it was in that millisecond that whatever I was stood on cracked and shifted and it dropped and leant backwards. And it was an old limestone quarry. And it, even when you're climbing it, you kind of feel things coming off in your hand a little bit and you have to ease up, ease up on the pressure. But before I knew it, 
I'd been thrown off this cliff face and all I can hear is the sound of my my rope zipping through my my sort of my belay device and I froze completely froze I, I I think maybe because I wasn't mentally committed to the abseil just in that moment and I was in like a purely relaxed state that when I suddenly had that roller coaster oblivion autumn towers feeling of just you know the bottom of the stomach kind of wrenching feeling and that sheer fear of what is about to happen and then I think for the next three to four seconds I'm tumbling and I'm looking at this perfect blue sky but I know that for the first time in my life I've everything is completely out of my control and I was honest honestly just so fearful that I was about to die and I, and I was so acutely aware of it I was so acutely aware of I was about to never potentially never see my family my friends my girlfriend again and it seemed that I had all of this time to contemplate what could happen but I know that as I'm falling I shout Matt's name three times and it, I didn't know it but it was shouting his name that was one of the factors that saved my life because he he knew that I was coming down you know unexpectedly I wasn't I wasn't just slowly abseiling down I was coming down at, at quite a rate and I land flat on my back I don't know it at that moment but I've I've essentially broken my back in two and I've paralyzed myself instantly on impacts and I start to tumble and I'm about to tumble off what would be another 35 40 foot pitch which would have then led to another 30 foot drop and then to a scree slope at the bottom and as I'm just about to roll off this six foot wide ledge grassy ledge Matt sprints from where he is and, and rugby tackles my body as it's kind of ragdolling off this next section so my, I think my right arm is off the precipice and I, and I didn't re I didn't realize the significance of what he did then and there um, mainly because my, my brain was in a state of what the hell just happened but he saved my life had he not got to me in time had I not shouted his name three times he might have missed me by a second two seconds before I my body slumped off you know I was completely out of control I was trying to grasp at things but it was all happening so quickly I couldn't self-rescue and I'm there lying in the dirt the sort of dust is settling and I think it was maybe a couple of minutes after we honestly spent the first two minutes beating off this attack of ants. I think I crashed through a crashed through a, an ants colony on my way down and my right arm was lacerated. So initially I thought I'd broken my arm and I was just being attacked by ants. And it wasn't until both of those subsided and we'd beaten off this attack that I go to stand up and I just look down at my, my body motionless. And then I realized that my brain didn't know that or didn't couldn't sense that three quarters of my body existed. I'm really curious, you know how you're saying how you sort of falling for three, four seconds, but you could it went through your brain, all these things and you could sort of really compartmentalize everything. How long did it feel like, even though it would have been only a couple of seconds, how long did it feel like to you? It felt like minutes as opposed to four yeah. seconds of falling. I think based on the height, probably three, four seconds of falling. It felt like minutes because I, I I had so much contemplation time as to the individual significance of who I was about to leave behind. And I'm not, you know, I think I'm someone that's always been open to the possibility of there being a God or being religious. I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know, is it agnostic where you're kind of open mm -hmm. to it? But I felt so sure that this was going to be it. I think I... Mm. I I'd come to terms with the fact that I might just see black and that was it. Mm. And that was really scary. And, and, and I, I think it's 
having that experience which actually has turned out to be a huge psychological benefit to me because whilst my life would change in in so many ways and it would be such a challenging time the fact that and I remember being in intensive care we're probably skipping ahead a bit here but being in intensive care and seeing you know my mum for the first time and just saying the words I'm sorry to her like and I was completely high on morphine out of nine hour surgery and I was just I felt guilty but I felt so lucky Mm. So, and I think people mm. thought I was a little bit kind of had like a brain injury when I was trying to say to people no 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 I feel lucky mm. and I think it's when you're the person that's that close to and when I know that second separated me from being saved from dying I wouldn't have survived the, the, the rest of the fall mm. um, it was was there an ambulance that had to come in to yeah. get you to hospital you know yeah. how was had I not uh, been uh in a world of pain it would have been probably the coolest experience of my life so we, we were on that ledge for for two hours for, for a very long two hours mountain rescue team arrived about 45 minutes later i tried to as a typical bloke does underplay the whole thing and they asked me what my pain score was out of 10 and i said seven because i was trying to give this like air of i'm all right don't worry about me and <laughs> I'm sure it was like a hundred. Oh god! Yeah, it was was like off the scale. scale. It wasn't on a scale of ten. It was on a scale of a hundred. But I think that's a typical just man reaction there. Just Mm. sometimes we we are afraid to admit when we're in pain Mm. when we need help. But they turn up 45 minutes later. uh, Coast Guard. So because of the precarious nature of the ledge, the the air ambulance wasn't an option, and I needed to be evacuated kind of straight from where I was in terms of my spinal injury. Or suspected spinal injury at that time so a coast guard helicopter comes and hovers over this you know imposing cliff and i remember just being on my back being on a spinal board looking up and just seeing these massive you know this downwash from the rotor blades and it, and it was it looked like it was centimeters from the from the cliff itself so i kind of <laughs> had this oh my god i'm not going to go this way <laughs> you know helicopter crashing into the cliffside but I was, you know, winched out of there two hours after, you know, the, the injury. And, uh, and that started a sort of five-month process through intensive care, rehabilitation, being on a spinal ward. But it was on that cliff edge, and I think this probably loses something we, we, we'll talk about. It was on that cliff edge that I made probably the most important commitment to myself that I've ever made. And that was to, I didn't say it out loud, I didn't say it for anyone else's benefit, but my own. And it was me telling myself that whatever this is, and I think it's important to remember at this point, that I didn't know what this was. You know, there's a, a huge element of me that was thinking it could just be shock. Um, the, the mountain rescue team was saying that I could have broken my pelvis, which was, you know, um, leading to the temporary paralysis of my legs. They said this could be a spine. And, and I heard all of this going on around me. They're kind of talking it through with each other. And I'm just this kind of like immobile patient, high on morphine at this point. But I kind of, you know, said to myself, whatever this is, I won't let it beat me. Mm. You know, and whatever this is, go into it like you're throwing yourself into any other challenge. You know, attack it, be brave, and don't let it define who you become. Mm. Is that... Was that very much a reflection of what you, you, how you'd lived your life up until then anyway? Or was there something that happened in that moment of that fall that made you, turned you to this extremely determined person? Um, yeah, because that, that that's quite a sort of statement to make to yourself when you are in, 
you know, unbelievable pain. You're on the side of a cliff, an air ambulance is coming over and you have no idea what is going on. Because um, you would have been in shock as well, I'm sure. So yeah, is that, is that a reflection of what you were like before? Or is that just something that happened in that moment and you kind of changed as a person? I think it was a combination of both. I think there was one element of me that knew that if I didn't make that big commitment then and there, that this could all run ahead of me. And I, I knew that th that moment was probably, the, if there was any moment to stamp my authority on, on, on kind of like having that accountability to myself, mm -hmm. because I, I could sense that I was about to go through probably, well, not even probably, I, was, I could sense that I was gonna go through the most challenging thing I'd ever experienced. And I think fortunately, I tell you what, had I not spent nine years pushing myself out of my comfort zone so you know climbing whether that's in the UK or in the Alps and then I was you know I'd gone through the physical selection process for the SAS reserve and I was gone on to the the continuation training aspect of that where you're learning to be a special forces soldier and that is kind of an environment where you're you're purposely testing your own limits so I think those two kind of parts to my life gave me a, that little bank of resilience and self-belief that I needed mm -hmm. I think had I not had that had I been that same guy I was when I was 16 and I'd been involved in a car crash and I'd not had these kind of formative experiences I think I would have dealt with things very differently mm. and have you have you always been like a glasses half full person rather than half empty drink yeah mm. I, I've had to be ever since that day I've had to be yeah yeah um, absolutely and your your rehabilitation journey is what yeah I'd really like to to find out about because see the five months I think I read <laughs> that you were involved in surgery and intensive care and so having been such an active person what how did you find that time tough really tough so like the next day I kind of come around and, I, and I'm told that I've gone through like a nine, a nine hour surgery and the, the doctors just, they tell you exactly how it is. You know, Darren, I, I'm really sorry to let you know, but you've sustained a, a severe spinal cord injury and you need to come to terms with the fact that you will never walk again. You know, and, I, and I'd heard of stories of people that have, you know, had spinal injuries and learned to walk again. But when you, you know, when you damage your spinal cord to the extent that I had, and I'd been shown the scans, that, you know, black and white, well not black and white in, in some of the cases but um I knew then and there that I had to accept the my, my kind of not my limitation but I had to accept that as fact and I had to move past it and I had to focus on what I could control and not kind of torture myself by thinking of all the things that I was about to lose I think it was just throw yourself into this and let's see what you can do you know if you're going to be in a wheelchair let's make sure that you're bloody good at being in a wheelchair and it was during that kind of process intensive care was really difficult because you're in a very um sort of intense environment there's no natural light there's no natural air just like you were saying and i think it was about day five or six that i was really psychologically emotionally struggling and I can't remember who it was that saw it. I think it may, might have been my mum could just sense it in me. And before I know it, the nurses are wheeling me out through these double doors into the ambulance loading bay. So it's nowhere glamorous. <laughs> but for the first time in five days after going through, you know, a huge emotional roller coaster, 
I felt the sun on my face and I felt fresh air. And it was that that just recharged the batteries to 100%. Literally just smoke, just breathing in fumes from the back of an ambulance. But it was just yeah. that sense of a breeze against the skin. And remember, you know, from five days ago, I'd been whisked off and shoved in this really sterile environment. Um, but, you know, past intensive care, you're then you do six weeks of bed rest where you're lying flat on your back for six weeks because you're letting your body recover from surgery, you're letting your, your back heal, the swelling go, to go down. So that's six weeks of being indoors. Luckily, it timed with the Olympics and the Paralympics. There was ample TV. Um, I remember asking my physio if I could have some weights to just just to do something with my upper body and it, I think they were like Darren you know this is called bed rest you need to kind of look, <laughs> focus on that second word and just embrace it um, and then it's the kind of once you're through that you then start to really take charge of your recovery because you start to to rehabilitate properly to you know learn to use a wheelchair to learn to transfer and to do all the things that you I do on a daily basis now without a second thought but at the time it's this it's this huge hurdle that you need to overcome because you need to prove to them, you know, by the four or five month mark that you're ready to, and they call it from the, from the, from the zoo to the jungle. Cause in the zoo, you're looked after, you're fed, you're medicated, anything goes wrong, someone there. And then I tell you what, it becomes really scary when you get closer and closer to your discharge date and God, in my case, my relationship, a three-year relationship ended. My partner came in and just said, Darren, I, I can't, I'm so sorry, I can't do this. And turned around and walked out and I never oh, saw goodness. her again. Wow. And so then it was like dealing with the life-changing energy, dealing with heartbreak, dealing with all of the kind of impact that had on my, how I perceived myself. I thought, I was like, I thought I was doing really well. I thought that I was yeah. being really positive about all of this yeah. and, and maybe I've deluded myself, but... Yeah you know, some looking back in some ways, going through that additional challenge was the making of me because it made me more determined to come out of this in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And it was because of that, that I asked for a, a day away from the hospital. I, I knew what I had in my, in my mind. I'd committed myself mm -hmm. to this. And they said, yep, yeah, you know, I think you're at the point now where you can have a day leave um it's funny that you have to ask to leave from hospital yeah. like a day's leave and me and Matt you know the guy that saved my life we drove up to Manchester which is about an hour and a half from the hospital I was in and we went to a kayak shop and we went in and I still had my, my bloody hospital wristband on my on my wrist so I think <laughs> the guy in there was like how can I help you gents um and we said we're here to buy a kayak or to buy two kayaks to be precise and then and there you know I saw this blue sea kayak and I was like that is it that is my ticket to being the same me and I think I'd had a refusal to change as a person mm -hmm. from the moment of my injury you meet so many people that come in that are ex-patients that kind of tell you to live a life a bit more limited and to live mm -hmm. within your new kind of like limits and I think they let the disability define them and this was me kind of saying uh-uh and I spent 800 pound on a kayak and all the bits to go with it never kayaked in my life before this point and the next day I speak to my physio and I'm kind of like Amy do you do you think that someone of my you know so I'm paralyzed from the chest down and she said I said do you think someone with my level of injury could kayak and she said I think she took a long like inhale and said mm, I'd probably think wheelchair tennis wheelchair basketball Darren for for a high level spinal 
and she said why do you ask and it was at that moment that I, I knew I had to show her the picture so I just kind of got my phone out the back of my chair and showed her this picture of me sat next to this kayak and she went please tell me that's not yours and I was like uh-huh and, and that was it that was the the most important purchase I've ever made in my life because it was a financial commitment and a figurative commitment and everything else to leaving this place and still being the same version of myself maybe just in a di- slightly different mode of transport yeah just looking at it from a different point of view adjusting knowing what you need needed to be you still and adjusting how you go about about that out of curiosity how how did matt feel <laughs> obviously he sounds like he's been he was a super supportive friend throughout and you know when you turned around to him and said let's go kayaking mm-hmm. how did he feel about taking I guess that responsibility as a friend having been through this incredible crazy experience with you and obviously extremely scary as mm-hmm. well how did he take that on going okay we're, we're doing this and I'm gonna do this with you was was he apprehensive or was he like yeah Okay, let's go. I don't think he hesitated for a second. I think he was part of that thought process in terms of how do we recapture, you know, that because the friendship was built from day one on adventure and it was built on pushing ourselves out of our comfort zones. And and I think it was just a natural evolution. I mean, you know, a man-made cause perhaps, but it was like a the next step in the evolution of our friendship. And and I don't think he like me he didn't see the barriers to disability and I think disability so much is in the mindset Mm -hmm. and I certainly don't have a disabled mindset I call myself a disabled adventurer because I like to I think that putting those two words together is such a contrast Mm. challenging the perception of what Mm -hmm. you know a high level spinal injury person can achieve but I don't think he he hesitated for a second and I have such an amazing group of friends around me that the so I'm discharged on 24th of December five months after you know my life completely changed in so in a lot of ways not in every way and on the 24th of December Christmas Eve Christmas Eve sorry um we've hired the local swimming pool one of my friends had hired the local swimming pool for two hours and Amazing. the very next day we we were there all the kit both the you know Matt bought a kayak as well both the kayaks and that was the start of the journey you know that was yeah. that was day one and God, yeah. I was rubbish. I was absolutely <laughs> awful. My friends did everything they could to be gentle and in a you know completely flat, motionless pool. But the more I fell in, and I, and I fell in a lot within seconds every time, the more I fell in, the more determined I was. And the more I fell in love with it, I think, because mm. I think that first time I capsized, it must have been two seconds after being pushed onto the water. I can imagine, I think my, my sister said that everybody kind of looked at each other and and it was that how's he going to react yeah yeah how, this how could go either way and yeah. I'm pretty sure I came out laughing and I was like yeah. let's go again I yeah. bet everybody was holding their breath and their shoulders up and then as soon as you started laughing went oh phew. Yeah. <laughs> you just wanted to make sure I could get out and not drown yeah, yeah. that was one so how about your first time out was it a river you went yeah first yeah. time the river yeah how how was that because that you know in a, in a swimming pool you're in a closed closed water safe environment lots of people around you you know very different to going out in nature and obviously that's what you were that was the goal you know the goal's not to kayak in a swimming pool you know that doesn't you didn't get 
what you're wanting from that. So how was that first experience? I'd be I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous. I'd be lying yeah. if I said I wasn't a bit tentative about the whole thing. Uh -huh. It was scary. You know, yeah. it was it was scary. Like you said, going from a sterile environment to a moving river and then all of those kind of possibilities of all these, you know, I don't really focus on the risk factors, as you could probably tell, but there, there was a, the possibility that things could, you know, I could capsize in a river and what mm. if my foot got stuck and I can't move my foot and I can't feel my foot, so how would I know? But it's kind of putting that, you know, that voice of self-doubt and that kind of inner monologue that we all have in our brains, which is the, the kind of the alarm bell that's trying mm -hmm. to limit what the environments you put yourself in. You know, that voice wants me to stay in my comfort zone and that voice probably wants me to listen to everyone that came into hospital and said, mm. you know, Darren, maybe think about something wheelchair based first. So I was nervous and I was tentative, but it was, I think, taking those first few, the longer that we stayed out, the more comfortable I became and the more secure I felt. I actually realised that I was like, oh, I can do this. And that self-belief started to build slowly but surely. And we went from, you know, a river the first time to um, Lake Bala, a really gorgeous lake in Wales near us. And then you push a bit further away from the bank and a bit further away from the shoreline. And it was just all a natural progression. And, you know, we had, we had me, we had Matt in his kayak. We had a friend called Harry who uh, was in this massive kind of sit on top fishing kayak okay. he was the, and, we, and we he became the designated safety boat and we could and we referred to him as that he would like shadow me uh -huh. and if anything went wrong he would jump in and he grabbed me and that was kind of a really lovely psychological safety net for me because I knew that my my guys were there for me mm. I wouldn't be left you know floundering if something did happen and and I needed that so I'm so fortunate to have like-minded people around me but I think that's we we cultivate our our friendships don't we with people that are similar minded mm -hmm. um, but yeah so um, yeah so nervous and, and tentative with the first yeah but did you did you advent you know eventually build up to that point where you suddenly were able to kind of just have that you know feeling the splashes of the water against your skin feeling you know whatever there's the wind everything all those things that you couldn't experience in hospital and you were yearning for that sort of did you have like I don't know, a euphoric moment when you thought, okay, we're doing this. I found, I found my light. Um, yeah, how was that? Yeah, I think that was probably sat in the middle of a, a lake in Snowdonia, right in the middle, you know, hundreds of meters from each bank and feeling kind of that security and knowing that nothing was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then just looking around, taking that breath, looking at the trees, the mountains on the horizon. And I remember just thinking like, well, nothing's changed like mm -hmm. you know, the mode of transport has changed yes mm -hmm. but I'm still ticking those same boxes that I was ticking before you're still being and, you yeah still being me and actually it felt even sweeter because mm -hmm. when someone or something takes everything away from you mm -hmm. and you can you know somehow rebuild and, and kind of get back to where you were mm -hmm. the the sense of achievement and reward um an accomplishment it is far beyond mm. you know we'll, we'll talk about the kayak expedition in mm. a bit, but like doing things like that it made me it, it's been so much harder work you know the whole it's been a five-year mm. journey so far and every step. you re, you rebuild stronger don't mm. you and with bigger dreams bigger aspirations and um, <laughs> which which you have definitely obviously pursued because 
you then went on to become the first disabled person to kayak was it four was it 1400 kilometers how long it was from Land's End to yeah. John O'Groats yeah. um so so how did this idea come from sitting peacefully on your kayak <laughs> absorbing nature thinking yes I've got this I'm back moving I'm back doing what I love to right I need to take this to another level now yeah. let's 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 just kayak the length of the UK <laughs> yeah. you know what it came from a failure it came from the okay. I think it came from the first time in my adult life that I'd failed at something I set out to do and that was you know while I was in the hospital the Paralympics wrong and I remember watching Paralympic kayaking and I was like and that, and to be fair that was probably what planted that seed of kayaking as a, as a way of okay. nature so I kind of, you know, six months after, about a year after my accident, I went and had a trial day at the British Paralympic team. And then I spent three years as part of their, you know, development pathway for the next generation of athletes that were looking at Tokyo. So mm -hmm. all of a sudden my purpose, you know, my reason for getting out of bed in the morning, for training, for my whole drive was towards achieving this one thing, which was mm -hmm. Tokyo 2020. And, and I thought, oh my God, four years after my accident, I could be doing exactly the thing that inspired me from my hospital bed you know the worst kind of most challenging moments of my life so I completely threw myself into you know full-time training and achieving this one thing and I didn't I didn't 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 it didn't come to fruition I didn't get quick enough times you know the number one from each country goes and each category goes and I was number two and I wasn't gaining on number one I was kind of if anything my times were dropping off and I was battling with a shoulder injury. And I remember the day that I think I realized that this dream had slipped through my fingers. And it took a, it took a little bit for me to realize that, you know, fa failure isn't always a, an, an, a, a bad thing. And actually failure is never a full stop. And it was only once I kind of reflected on the facts and I thought, you know what, what have I achieved these last three years? And who am I still as a person, regardless of this failure? And it was in that kind of, you know, um, grieving process that one thing that I wanted to achieve wouldn't achieve that that kind of moment of, you know what, hold on a minute, I'm still in control of my future here. So if I'm not going to do this one thing, then maybe we go back to the true roots of who you are as a person and we do something that's as much of a challenge as the Paralympics, but on an adventure scale, not on a sports scale. So I call up um for my friends that are you know each have gone through life-changing injuries that are ex-military and I was like guys I've got an idea um and I kind of laid it out I said Land's End to John O'Groats by kayak how about it and that was as much research as I'd done I was like has it been done before what's the distance I was there on like a plotter route app and I was like I think it's about 1400 kilometers guys it'll take I don't know 35 days maybe and you can tell that you're surrounded by the right people when without much hesitation they're all like yep let's make it happen and this is, you know, July 2020 that this idea is kind of born. And we're saying in 12 months time, we're going to take a team of five people with life changing injuries that have got no right at all to be trying to take this challenge on. None of us were pro sea kayakers. Luke, um, I think his entire kayaking experience was 50 minutes on his honeymoon in Cancun. <laughs> And I remember the first time we came together as a, as a team to train, like our launch day, Kayak for Heroes, we came up with a name, rather predictable name. Uh, but uh, I remember Luke just going around in circles doing donuts in on this like lake in the Cotswolds. And he and he he came off it and he was like, 
mate, I hate it. What am I doing? <laughs> and and we said, right, in 12 months time, we're going to set off day one and we're going to do this. And I had so many people tell me that, you know, people like us and people uh, by, by that, they meant people with, you know, various injuries, you know, um, and people that weren't at a certain level of sea kayaking. It shouldn't be done. It couldn't be done. It'd be impossible. We'd fail, you know, in the first week, let alone the first month. And I think it was that that was a bit of fuel to the fire for, for all of us, because, you know, probably like a lot of your listeners were people that like to prove themselves right and others wrong. Mm. So, God, you know, 12 months after, and this was like a 12 month period of lockdown two, lockdown three. So all of this like training schedule we'd had was completely out of the window. And before we know it, it's 12 months later, it's June 19th, 2021. And we're bobbing off the coast of Cornwall of Land's End, you know, 100 foot cliffs off to our right hand side, waves smashing against them. And we're just about to drop the boats in the water for that first stroke of the expedition. And that, I think all of us were completely daunted. Half the boat was seasick. The other half, I was feeling sick because I had people retching right next to me. So that was setting me off. And, uh, and yeah, that was the start of what would be the greatest adventure and the, the biggest challenge of my life yeah I mean I think I think it's really interesting you sort of talking about purpose because I think this is something that we all we all need I often find that when I found myself in a rut and I'm going through a dark time or whatever I look back and it's a lack of purpose that I find myself there and it's and that idea that you said where you know failure didn't had a full it doesn't have to have a full stop you know we need to learn from our failures don't we and you could have stopped right there and gone no do you know what but you redefined your purpose mm -hmm. and and you know there's there's no one there's no rules on how many times we can redefine our purpose either um and you know having this mad idea to kayak the length of, of the UK also via the sea which is because you could have chosen canals and stuff really couldn't you but yeah so why, why sea well I don't know it's just a challenge isn't it I think <laughs> it, was the, it was the potential for it to be this incredible and it was it, it didn't fail to deliver just so many moments on the expedition so we we had like a support boat that would tail us we had two two-man kayaks and we would do it as like a there would always be one boat in the water and it'd be like a rolling relay so you would do a 40 minute section, the other team would jump in 40 minutes, back in 40 minutes, and it would come, we would bounce along. Um, and I remember when we started the planning process, someone was saying to me about like um, tidal patterns and and I was like, sorry, what? You know, so we had 12 months of upskilling ourselves to become competent enough from a theoretical point of view to make mm. this happen. But yeah, that that first day, you know, we're, we're going past all of these huge landmarks, we're, we're paddling past some of those gorgeous coastlines. And every day I looked at what we were doing. I looked at the team. I looked at what we were achieving. And I thought, God, I never would have experienced any of this had I not had my accident, had I not mm. redefined the purpose, like we were saying, from the accident. Mm. And I was completely pushing my limit. Like, I will happily admit that every day I pushed myself so far out of my comfort zone that at the end of the day, my brain was a bit fragged and we'd have to go back to our accommodation I'd have to brief the guys for the next day you know I think because it was my idea I became like the de default expedition leader mm. so I'm kind of giving these briefings and kind of doing things that I'm not normally comfortable doing like check like 
delivering a briefing to a group of like you know grizzled blokes kind of thing and I was every minute I was paddling I was testing the limit of my disability and how far I could push my body how far how much can someone that has no so I've got no function of any of my like ab or core muscles or my legs or my glutes anything that all of those things that turn out to be really useful for sea kayaking when it comes to stability and I think it was like day two day three where I started to my my I started to realize the potential that I had you know I started to think back to day one and I was like I feel like a different bloke day three day four to day one and I remember on day three we're paddling along which would have been near Ilfracum so the North Devon coastline and there's a wave that kind of is coming from our rear and we catch this wave and I'm paddling with with Jim who's our like technical coach and and safety expert and he was like right go paddle 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 and all of a sudden my my rate picks up and before I know it we're riding the top of this wave and I see the 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 kind of Garmin watch with the speed on it speed on it it accelerates to like 16 17 18 kilometers an hour and we're we're riding the top of this wave and when the wave subsided he was in front and he said Darren my friends will not believe me when I tell them what you what me and you have just done because this has never been done and he said no one like you has ever done anything like this and I think it's so nice to 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 know that because so many of those people that I referred to that came into hospital were so limiting in their in their beliefs and if I took them at face value I would have limited my own kind of aspirations Mm -hmm. so it's so nice to go in and to talk to guys that are going through what I went through Mm. five years ago and be like I tell you what one day you will do something that will redefine what Mm. this is all about um so in in that moment you were riding that wave you know that that sounds like an incredible experience did did you feel sort of true happiness mm. Uh, and I only asked this question because actually it was only today that I was listening to a podcast um it was um Jay Shetty talking on this podcast and he was saying something along the lines of happiness is when you know your experiences are balanced with with being challenged at the same time so if you're not if you've got these experiences or you know this knowledge I think there's knowledge needs to be challenged at the same time but there was if you're challenged too much and you haven't got enough knowledge then you you're going to feel inferior and everything but if you have too much knowledge and you're not challenged enough that's when you feel bored and unfulfilled but if you find that balance between you know you gathered experience and knowledge and you found that element of challenge that it's still kind of you know you're living on the edge a little bit that's when you feel this this absolute I guess it's quite a zen feeling of happiness you know balance and and did you find that in that moment had you found that kind of yeah balance between the two yeah so I I think I'd spent five three days fighting I spent three days fighting through the water and it felt like a grueling grudge match between me and the the sea you know Mm. like it trying its best to throw me out and it did Mm um and me trying to fight against it to stay stable mm-hmm. and that moment when we you know picked up that rate caught that wave speed was it was that sense of speed as well that exhilaration I felt stable mm-hmm. and in that moment it felt like it clicked mm-hmm. you know all that training all of that kind of you know three days of struggle something all of a sudden clicked 
in that moment and I find myself riding the top of this wave and I had that sense of speed that rush sense of achievement and it was much more than that because it actually just changed my psyche for the rest of the trip it made me realize mm. that I could do things that might have been deemed not possible mm, absolutely and, and you you've been you have continued to do this which brings me on nicely to um free diving <laughs> which is something that you've been pioneering um for those with physical injuries and disabilities so, so were you a diver before your accident so no. you weren't a diver no. no okay so where did this idea come to become a free diver then yeah i think there's just something there's something really freeing about water i think mm. you know I, I i swimming had been a big part of my recovery my kind of cardio workouts and stuff and when you're in that pool and you have a, I use a pool boy, you know, I put mm -hmm. it between my legs. I just sort of use a, a strap to keep it there. And then you're swimming along and you're swimming at the same rate as someone that's, you know, fully able-bodied. Mm. I think, and then you get on a kayak, you get on the water, you don't feel disabled at all. So I remember seeing a picture on Instagram of someone free diving and I kind of thought, I was like, well, why can't I do that? And I called up and they were like, well, yeah, we've not really had anybody interested like that, but let's let's give it a go. Mm. Credit to to go free diving down in down in Bath, and I find myself in Vobster Key, you know, in a in a big kind of like sunken quarry, and pulling down on this line, going down to I don't know, maybe thirty foot below the surface, letting go, and swimming. And yes, I'm swimming with my hands, but it, it felt so freeing. Uh, you know, my wheelchair at this point was you know 500 meters away and, and and you just feel I think there's that sense of independence and that sense of tranquility mm, it's a different it's, world isn't it when you yeah, go for sure, for sure. admittedly um, at the same time you're, you're holding your breath yeah and you're kind of trying to gauge that what's my limit here before I need to turn around and go back up but with gradual exposure you go further down you pick it more and freediving is all about just controlling your emotions and, and controlling and enjoying and embracing that kind of tranquility of below the surface mm. and I think for me it just had this real freeing and, and I'm you know going to do quite a lot more this year coming when the weather mm. improves a bit and, and it's yeah it's just it's just brilliant to get below the water just to leave mm. the chair at the bank mm. you know wave a fond the thing is I have a, a, a slight hate for the phrase wheelchair dependent or wheelchair um yeah, I think wheelchair dependent. People sort of think that you and it are this item that cannot be separated. You know, mm. you can't pull the atom apart. Whereas the wheelchair is the mode of transport to get from one activity mm. or hobby or passion to another, whether mm. that's kayaking or freediving or swimming. Mm -hmm. um, the, the wheelchair is just the mode of transport. That's all it is. It's not this limiting thing. And there's this really brilliant picture of me free diving which is like a bit zoomed out and it's me coming back up on the line and my my body is you know completely straight perpendicular and if I showed that to 100 people in public and kind of went you know could you point out what's wrong with this guy here you're not going to see it and I think mm -hmm. for me that was this it's just this brilliant capture of what free diving means to me yeah and I think that's such a really amazing point that you're making you know you're not limited to 
only to being able to do things in your wheelchair like your physio suggested basketball rugby you know it's there is so many more options out there and you are still a person in a body it's not stuck to a wheelchair and that's what you are showcasing to the world and it's it's amazing and I know that 2022 is a busy year for you <laughs> you're you've got so you've got two is it two big challenges you've got this, yeah, so this year so one's a real one's really personal so um mm. between me you and your listeners my, my dad passed away in September uh, um, and he struggled with his mental health for a couple of years and he, and he sadly took his own life I'm and so sorry. yeah and for me I wanted to do something that gave back and helped people that are in his situation so mm-hmm. I've put together a team of eight eight people that have all gone through their own mental health challenges or kind of have a connection to someone that's gone through you know what my family have gone through with my dad mm-hmm. and we're growing the channel growing this channel um, and we're doing it for mental health uh, charities so it, it's funny isn't it adventure can be a, a channel and then like an outlet for your emotion and for me I think mm-hmm. dealing with the loss of the premature loss of my dad and unexpected loss of my dad I needed to channel it into something that helped me process my emotions but also helped someone like him and to stop them from kind of making that final thing uh that's such a you know it was September but it's such a raw kind of emotional thing to talk about so I, I tend not to talk about that but um mm-hmm. the the main one for for this year is is doing something that uh, has come about because whoever organizes this is curious whether it can be done by someone in a wheelchair so that is the world marathon challenge which is seven marathons seven days seven continents um with number one being in antarctica which should be fun wheelchair and snow and ice don't normally mix that well um and it's it's just a once in a lifetime opportunity it's it's another one of those can this be done by someone you know with a, with a high level spinal injury or a disability and it was just an offer that i couldn't couldn't say no yeah. to um yeah. once again i have no experience of, of you know i never kiked on the sea before kite for heroes i've never done a marathon in my wheelchair and i'm about to attempt to do seven in seven days with all the flying in between um yeah a, a jet lag and, and jet <laughs> everything lag that comes with it. that <laughs> um wow and how how do you even train but that is uh, where yeah uh, it turns out just a lot of miles in the wheelchair so a lot of you just have to keep going <laughs> yeah exactly a lot of cardio work a lot of gym work just to keep because as a wheelchair user you you're so dependent on your shoulders and your upper body um and there's a lot of wear and tear so for me a lot of the work mm. that i do is kind of rehabilitation or um what's the expression prehab so doing a lot of band work to keep my shoulders healthy and then there's just going to be a lot of cardio, a lot of kind of hand cycling, a lot of just getting out in my wheelchair and pushing. Um, but it's, I think it's, you know, ask me once I've done it, but it's a, a brilliant testament in my mind to not being phased by something that you've never done before. Mm. You know, I think a huge part of my brain said, you've never done one, let alone seven. And the other, the 60% of my brain was like, you have to do this. This is, yeah you know um it's it's I feel like you're the type of person that you get an idea in your head and the only way you can get that idea out of your head is if you give it a go (laughs) you have you know you've got a spark and you just need to light it and you just need to go for it and see what happens and 
I think that's incredible. And I'm so excited for you this year and to see what happens. And it's amazing. And, and so if anybody wanted to follow your journey and see what happens, where, where can they do it? Where can they find you? Um, well, the main bit would be Instagram, probably like everyone okay. else as well. So yeah. Darren, uh, Darren Edwards underscore adventurer on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I think it's the same on Facebook, to be fair. But uh, yeah, so if, if anybody wants to see how far I get in the snow, yeah. you know, like, exactly like you said, it's one of those ones where with Kayak for Heroes, we didn't know, we, we went into the challenge knowing that this could be one challenge, one step too far, and there was no guarantee of success. And with the World Marathon Challenge, there is no guarantee of success. But mm -hmm. like you said, if you don't throw yourself into it and you don't try, mm -hmm. you'll never know. And you know, saying no to an opportunity like that, I think I'd only need to regret it. But I, I mean, I, you know, I think those things, it's just as much about the experience of doing it yes. than it is, you know, finishing. There's, there's two different things. I had a friend recently who climbed Snowdonia and she'd always wanted to climb a mountain. This was her main thing. And she got to say she didn't quite make it to the top because the conditions weren't good and whatever she, but she came back and she said, well, my, my goal was to climb a mountain. I still climbed a mountain. Didn't, didn't, my goal wasn't, didn't say get to the top. I still did. I experienced this mountain, I experienced everything that, the elements, everything. And it, and it felt great. And I think that's what it is. Just, you don't, obviously finishing is an incredible achievement, but the experience itself is, is even, is even more amazing. Um, and okay, my final question for you, which I ask everybody, uh, looking back at the ripples you've made in your life, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned for keeping your mind and body healthy? I think the, the obvious one for me is perspective and gratitude. So, you know, going back to five years ago, five and a bit years ago, five and a half years ago, and that three to four seconds were falling, um, which is still still brings up emotions now, you know, I, because mm. when you're so acutely aware of, of everything you're about to lose, you also become acutely aware of everything in your life you have to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. So it's like a way of thinking for me. It's like a self-discipline is to no matter what challenges we go through in life, you know, me and my partner have been going through the IVF process um, mm -hmm. the last year, which is a, another roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And I think to keep myself mentally balanced, I've always been so um, tuned into my perspective on things and to appreciate things for what they are, to be grateful for the amazing things that I have in my life, even when things sometimes don't go our way, which is life, isn't it? Things don't always go our way. But I think sometimes people forget how much we have to be grateful for, you know, mm. the amazing networks they have around them um, and just having that perspective I think for me I've always known that my story could have ended at 26 years old um, I spent enough time in hospital with people that had suffered neck injuries that were paralyzed from the neck down so suddenly the fact I can use my own wheelchair and I can maintain my own independence becomes something I should be so grateful for um, but I think maybe you know social media informed a lot of us have a, a, a kind of skewed perspective of our own lives and we measure our lives against other people, which is never a good thing to do. Um, so for me, I think those two things, perspective, gratitude, are a definite mental way of, of keeping positive. And adventure in a physical sense has always been that tick in the box as well to keep mentally balanced and physically balanced. 
Um, yeah. which probably like everybody that listens to this podcast we all know that adventure is such a key part of yeah of a uh, positive mental health oh absolutely well I, I could keep talking and I'm so excited like I said for you for the next for the next year ahead and what you've got coming up and good luck with 2022 exciting times thanks India <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode start a ripple podcast if you like what you heard then please do write a review it helps other like-minded souls find this podcast too if you want to get in touch and the best way to speak to me is probably via instagram and my handle is at with underscore india all right take care and speak to you soon